you might have noticed, if you know, that Alan is usually here. He is my co-pastor and my husband, and he is homesick with my, he is sick, and he is homesick, he is with my daughter. <laughs> so, um, we are here. <laughs> but, last um, week we started this new series called We Are. Because at the beginning of the year, it's good to remember who we are, right? A little bit of identity review and maybe a little bit of identity discovery, which is always a good thing. So last week, Alan talked about the fact that we are beloved children of God, which is something that we all need to know. And when we know it deeply and fully, then we can love other people as beloved children of God. We are all beloved children of God. So this week, I would like to focus on the idea of we are followers of Jesus. But who is this Jesus that we follow, right? Who is this person that we say that we want to model our lives after? And I think today, more than ever, there are conflicting images of Jesus. There are conflicting ideas of what it means to be a Christian. And there are people who articulate following Jesus in a very different way than I want to follow Jesus. So, um... Some of the ways people perceive Christians are not the ways that I believe Christians are when we actually follow the way of Jesus. So there is a book called Unchristian that talks about the ways that people perceive Christians to be. And as a part of their promotion for this, they put this video together. So I'm not exactly promoting the book, but I would recommend. <laughs> Christians are overpassionate, hypocritical, anti-gay, more than a bubble. Too small and hot. And they believe in their faith. Funny. Talk about their son in the face. Have a list of rules and definitions that they have to follow all the time. They definitely have to follow. Christians always have ulterior motives. So a lot of my friends, when they think about Christians, they think about people who have no clue. Uh, they live in a world that's not real. They just kind of their own little existence, doing their own little thing. Um, and they are not critical. And some of them, again, say certain things, you don't follow it up. People assume that you're coming from this close-minded worldview. My non-Christian friends think that I'm always judging them, that I think that I'm better than them. They assume that Christians don't like gay people. I feel like we're just in a place right now where we have to surprise people and challenge their assumptions about Christianity is because the assumptions that people have about Christianity are so firm at this point that they can actually parody us with pretty good accuracy. So maybe you've heard me say it before, but I really believe that in our context, in Portland, Maine, if we can just make a better reputation for God, that would be a huge thing. Because God has a bad reputation, and Christians have a worse one. 
And the things that I hear people say who claim to be following Jesus by saying them sometimes really conflict with what I believe Jesus is about. So, what does it mean to really follow Jesus? The real Jesus. However, we can figure out who the real Jesus is, right? What are Jesus' priorities? Those should be our priorities, right? So, last week Alan read the story of Jesus' baptism from the Gospel of Mark, which is the first story in the Gospel of Mark. The first, most important thing you need to know about Jesus is his baptism. <coughs> so, I'm going to read the story that comes after the next story after that, but I'm reading from the Gospel of Luke. So, Jesus has just been baptized. He's just spent 40 days in the wilderness. And then this is the story of what happens next. This is Jesus' first public appearance saying, this is what I'm about, and this is what I'm going to do with my life. So, I'd like you to listen to this with ears to see who Jesus is. And if he aligns with someone that you want to follow. So I'm reading from the Gospel of Luke in the fourteenth chapter, in the fourth chapter, starting with verse fourteen, sixteen actually. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as he normally did, and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. So what does Jesus say about himself in this statement and in these actions? What does he say? He's been anointed by the Lord. He's been anointed by the Lord. To do what? Right. To preach. To preach what? Good news. Good, not to the rich? <laughs> Good news to the poor. What else is Jesus anointed to do? Release for the prisoners. Do you think the government likes to hear that I have been anointed to release all the prisoners? <laughs> To liberate the oppressed. To liberate the oppressed. 
and he's speaking to people who feel oppressed. Sight to the blind. Sight to the blind. And he does these things, right? From this point on with his life, he does these things. He gives sight to the blind, people who are actually, literally cannot see from their eyes, and people who cannot see the reality that is around them or the reality that God is trying to reveal to them. Jesus is about bringing the people who are at the bottom and lifting them up. Jesus is about changing the order of the world. Jesus is about bringing change and honoring the lives of those who feel oppressed. And that is the Jesus that I follow. Or I try to. This is Jesus' mission statement. These are Jesus' core values. This is what Jesus wants to say at the very beginning to the people who don't have any idea what he's trying to be. He says, this is what it's about. These are the important things. And these are not things that he said once and then said, oh, well, you know, I didn't really mean that. These are the things that he died for. He did not recant. He did not say, well, actually, I didn't really mean that. If you just wouldn't kill me, then I would. No, Jesus stood by these things from this point forward until his death. So tomorrow is a national day of remembrance of the life of someone who I believe embodies these values. Who followed the way of Jesus with his words and with his actions. That doesn't mean he was blameless. But it means that when we look at the way he lived his life and how he changed the world and the risks that he was willing to take, we are challenged to live like he did. There are many, many words that we could listen to, that we could read. From this moment until tomorrow ends and beyond, that would challenge us and empower us and help us to see the world differently. Because when he spoke, he spoke with wisdom. And so this year, probably for reasons that are more apparent in our world today than they were last year, at least to me, the words that caught me the most were the words that Dr. King wrote to the white Christian leaders when they wrote to him and they said, just be patient. Can you tell people not to do that right now? Maybe next year, maybe another time, maybe things will just get better. Maybe if we just let it be, then things will be okay. 
I don't know about you, but I don't tend to just naturally have a lot of compassion for people who are opposing the work of justice that I feel passionate about. I don't find compassion is the first thing that comes up when I hear someone say, actually, you should just wait. This isn't that important right now. But maybe that wasn't his first reaction. But what he wrote to them was words of compassion, but words of clarity, and words of justice. And the words that he wrote, I believe, are words for us today, because there is a new movement in our country that is similar to the movement that Dr. King led. And there is a need for impatience. And there is a need to understand the underlying systems that are problematic. And so he writes, Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with narrow, provincial, outside agitator ideas. <coughs> Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider anywhere within its bounds. You deplore the demonstrations taking place in Birmingham. But your statement, I'm sorry to say, fails to express a similar concern for the conditions that brought about the demonstrations. I am sure that none of you would want to rest content with the superficial kind of social analysis that deals merely with the effects and does not grapple with underlying causes. It is unfortunate that demonstrations are taking place in Birmingham. But it is even more unfortunate that the city's white power structure left the Negro community with no alternative. These are Dr. King's words, <coughs> spoken decades ago, but relevant still today to the situation we find ourselves in. 
Dr. King was a leader in the way of Jesus. Dr. King was a follower of Jesus. The last speech he made on the night before he was killed, nearly at the end, he said, I just want to do God's will. try to solve our issues through violence and death. If only. This year, even more than last year, I am aware of the need to remember Dr. King's legacy and to bring it forward to today in whatever ways I can as a follower of Jesus. One of the things that I am so thankful for is the diversity of people in my life who helped shape my world and my children's world. This week we received our, um, Rachel is my third grader and she received her class picture from school. She goes to Ocean Avenue Elementary School, which is the closest elementary school to here. And I was so happy to see that she is in the minority in her class as the child of two white parents. <coughs> her world is so different than the one I grew up in in South Dakota. And her world is so different than the world that her grandparents grew up in during the time of Dr. King. And the way that she experiences people who are different than her, I think is more true for young people today than not. And that is a gift that we as a society in many places are much more comfortable with difference than we used to be. But we are still afraid of each other. And we still judge people by the color of their skin. And we assume that the content of their character is bad because of the color of their skin. We have a long way to go. And as much as I want to get there quickly, and as much as I want to say we should not stop, and we shouldn't, we have much to learn about each other and about ourselves so that we are not afraid. But the gift of knowing people who are different than you helps a lot. 
see myself much more clearly and my assumptions when I am in relationship with people who are different than me. And I know that that also helps the other people who are in relationship with me who maybe aren't in relationship with people who are as different from them as the people I am in relationship with. <coughs> we are an interwoven garment of connectedness. And we need difference. And we need to be in relationship with one another. And we need to be in conversation, compassionate conversation with people who disagree with us. This coming week, cover of the New Yorker magazine makes a statement about the legacy of Dr. King. The artist puts it this way. It struck me that King's vision was both the empowerment of African Americans, the insistence on civil rights, but also the reconciliation of people who seemed so hard to reconcile. He said, in New York and elsewhere, the tension between the police and the policed is at the center of things. Like Trayvon Martin and Eric Garner Michael Brown, and officers Winjin Liu and Rafael Ramos, Martin Luther King was taken way too early. It's hard to believe that things would have got as bad as they are if he was still around today. But we are around. of us who claim to follow Jesus, the Jesus who brings good news to the poor and release to the prisoners and sight to the blind, most of all to those who are blinded by their own prejudice and fear. If we are followers of Jesus, like Dr. King was, then all is not lost. And the dream that Dr. King had, that has been fulfilled in part but needs so much more fulfillment, may be coming. It may be on its way. And so we dream. <laughs>